This is Strange Assembly, episode 208, Reformation. This is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes or in the Google Play Store. You can find us at facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. But now that I'm done with the uh, obligatory introductory pieces, I'm Chris Stevenson. And here with me today are Matt Sandlin. Hello. And Chris Sink. Hello. Hey, and we're just going to do a little bit of old-fashioned, hey, here are some games we've played and and hear what we thought about them uh, before we uh, ramp up for next episode, which will be about Fantasy Flight's basically giant press release about Legend of the Five Rings that we will cover as breathless fanboys. But the first thing I wanted to to go into today was Sulla Fide, the Reformation, which Advance Warning ended up being a, a bit odd for me because it felt much different as a repeat play game than a a one off, which is is a uh, much different than for me than the sort of usual Euro experience. Sulla Fide is designed by uh, Christian Leonard and Jason Matthews. It's a re-implementation of Campaign Manager 2008, and it is about uh, it's Sola Fide: The Reformation. It's about the right the Protestant Reformation, the Catholic Counter Reformation, and I believe it is being released because it was released in 2016. Because I believe that 2017 is the 500 500th anniversary of when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church door. Uh, like here I stand is, I think, coming out with a 500th anniversary edition later this year. That, for those who haven't played it, is a massive, massive, lengthy six-player Reformation-based game. Sola Fide, on the other hand, is a is a much, much, much shorter two-player-only game that is a re-implementation of the system in Campaign Manager 2008. I have not played that game, so there's not going to be any comparisons here. So in Sola Fide, the the two players are manipulating the religious and political winds in the Holy Roman Empire, what we would is now you know Germany and Austria and and such. And in each of the ten provinces, there is a a level of support for Catholics, a level of support for Protestants. And then a, a balance of power between the nobles and the commoners. And in order to secure victory in a province, your religion has to have fully controlled one of the social orders. And that social order has to be dominant within that province. So you can prevent your opponent from gaining control either by fighting with them for, say, whether or not the peasantry is going to be Catholic or Protestant, but you could also fight with them by, okay, they've got the peasantry, but I can just try to make sure that the nobles stay in control of this province. And your victory points at the end of the game are are largely just what's the value of the provinces that you got. 
within the context of a single game, the actions are are pretty restrained in a way that reminded me a little bit of Kingdom Builder, although it's it's not that restrictive, in that you, on a given turn, you do one thing. You either draw a card or you play a card. And the cards mostly do two things. It'll be like, add one to the, you know, pick a province, add one to the, you know, add one support amongst the nobles and then shift the balance of power towards the, in, the dominant side, you know, or, or away from the dominant side. And you are looking for opportunities to turn those little incremental changes into control of a province or at least putting yourself in a position where you are one card away from controlling the province, which means that your opponent now has to really look at that and see, oh my gosh, is there anything I can do to keep that out of, out of his hands? You know, cause they don't know whether or not you have the follow up card in your hand that, that you need. There are some cards that break out of that. Each side has a card that's like draw three cards. Each side has a card that's draw a card and then play a card or draw one card, play a card off the top of your deck. You know, make your opponent discard two cards. Things that are kind of inherent card advantage within the fabric of the game that you always want. And then the Catholics have one distinctive type of card, which are military actions, which require them to blow multiple cards, which is a high cost, and have a backlash effect from the Protestants where they roll a die and they get some sort of benefit from you having launched this military attack. But they do more than a normal card. They don't do terribly more than a normal card. And when you look at them the first time, it's like, man, that's... That's that's not a lot for how much it costs me, but as you when you play it a bit more, it it becomes apparent like how strong it can be to be able to do multiple things at once. To, you know, to choose exactly the place that you want. You know, add multiple influence on one of the social orders and shift the influence towards that social order. You know, playing as the Catholics that can be the major way that you end up controlling provinces. The Protestants, on the other hand, have a set of cards that that take all the neutral spots on one particular province and make them yours. Those are, are very swingy. When they hit, that can add an awful lot of influence, more than a normal card would. On the other hand, your deck may have these cards that don't do anything anymore because that province is over, or because... It's still in play, but everything is covered now. You know, there are no neutral spots. It's either Catholic or, or Protestant. Everyone's locked in. But I say that this, this really felt different when you played it repeatedly because after your first play, you have something of a draft for what's in your deck. Each side will have their own they have their own deck of cards because these are all named after specific events that occurred during the reformation and at the beginning of the game you'll pull three cards keep one pull three cards keep one pull three cards keep one and you you go like that and so by having gone through the the bigger selection of cards and made your choice that way you can pick you know if you're protestant or catholic do you want those specialty cards higher risk higher reward cards or not you know what balance of cards do you want to go for as far as putting influence on the additional different social orders or 
or shifting the influence from one social order to another. It, you know, you can, it's easy to go, oh, well, what I really want to do is just control the social orders and shifting the balance of power is not that big a deal. But then you can find yourself, you know, quickly cut off as, oh, well, I have total control of the, the nobles in Bavaria, but I have no way to get the nobles in control of Bavaria. So that doesn't matter. And that sort of produces this game within a game against yourself, like with the, like the solo game that you have on the side of drafting and picking what's actually going to be in your deck that then can really change how you play the, the game itself once you get in and you don't necessarily know exactly what your opponent has drafted and trying to figure out what they chose to keep in their deck or not. Uh, so... All told, it, it's a fun game. It 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 feels a little constrained when you play it, but then opens up a bit more when you play it multiple times. So, if you're interested in the theme, which I was, it's not super deep in the cards, right? It is literally a, a reskin of a of a prior mechanic. I mean, not not just a straight up reskin, but right, this, these mechanisms have been around before. Uh, but worth checking out. That is Sola Fide, the Reformation from Stronghold Games. So I, I've got to ask you, Chris. Um, my game was based on a 500-year-old intellectual property that guards, guides the spiritual life of billions around the world. What do you have that can possibly compare to that for your license on your game? Well, it's not 500 years, but it almost feels like it because there's so much of it around. So we're going to dive into some Star Wars. And uh, I know Matt's going to chime in some here, too, because we both uh, have been um, collecting, playing, and rinse repeat. So it's Destiny. This is the Dyson card game from Fantasy Flight that they came out with in November. It was actually their largest print run they've ever they've ever done. But uh, then when they when it finally hit retail, it got gobbled up in a hurry. And then every wave after that just got snatched up, so much so that they've had to reprint that. And that's going to come out this summer after the second wave comes out. But enough of that. That's a whole different story for another time. But me and Matt both were fortunate enough that we, we sought out the game and were able to find enough product to build decks and have a pretty substantial collection. And to play plenty. <laughs> and, and when you say you were able to find enough product, you mean you, you were able to buy enough boxes that have pretty much all the a playset of almost everything, right? I mean, <laughs> <you're> not, y- yes. <laughs> you are not lacking for cards or dice there. <laughs> no. And, and then there were also a couple boxes that happened to make it on the secondary market from our collections. So, yes. Honest to God, I, we just looked for it. Uh, I mean, I, I saw a lot of people on Reddit that were getting frustrated. I can't find anything. can't, you know, where is it? Where is it? I mean, we, we saw um, boxes in game stores in Canada. They're online game stores. So we bought them. They actually were at a decent price. And so we just got them when we saw them and we were able to get, I, I have a complete playset except for, Six cards and a complete playset would include um, two of every card, and I almost have four of every neutral card, so I can play it with heroes or villains. So, 
So other than being collectible and having a secondary market, how does the uh, how does the game play? So Star Wars Destiny, the setup is really simple. Your characters start on the board automatically, and those are going to be obviously your main people you're using to fight against the other person. And you can either be hero or villain, uh, and you can use neutral cards to help build the deck to go along with that. And these character cards have character dice that go along with those. So those start out there, and you build that by building 30 points. So in the bottom of the card, you'll have a point value. And you either have one point value, which means you can only use one dice on that card, or you have two point values, one for one dice and one for two dice. And then so you can build up to 30. So you do that, put your dice out there. Then one of the best things I love about this game, and this is it's a small thing, but it's great, is the battlefield. So this battlefield is where you're, th- this battle is taking place. And during the setup, you figure out who that's going to be, who, where you're going to be doing this. And that gives another whole another level to the game because when you claim that, that can do another thing for you during the game. That happens at the end of the round. So you have actions. And this is what I like about this game. It's, it's easy to get into, okay? Because I've actually taught this. You know, I'm a high school teacher. I've taught this to my students numerous times. Any of them that have played any card game, be it Magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, can pick this up five, ten minutes, and then they know how to play this game. And it's much easier to teach because they all want to do the, the rounds, right? You know, like they do, well, I have this round. No, 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 no. Once you get your cards in your hand, you take an action. One, one thing. Just one. And that's it. And so once they learn what that is, so you can obviously play a card from your hand, activate one of your characters, resolve dice, so on and so forth. And you go back and forth. There's no reaction. There's very few reactions. Let me take that back. But, you know, in these other games where you're worried about, okay, where's the stack going to be? There's really no stack. You take your action, and then your next opponent takes their action, and you go back and forth until you don't have any more actions you can take. And one person is claimed, one is done with the round, and you re-up and you do it again. And you're trying to go after their characters to, you know, their characters have so many health points, or your characters have so many health points, you're trying to kill them, or you can deplete their deck. This does have a mill option as well for a winning category. And that's how it works. Matt, you can go over, you can go over different cards if you wish. Well, one of the things that I think is, it's a lot of fun that you mentioned with the Battlegrounds is, finding the right battleground that you make your opponent either look at the characters in the battleground and go, oh no, we are not playing there, which means that you get to go first. Or, I really want to play there because that's going to help me. So, And and then you actually get a way to play the other player in how you construct your deck, which is also a lot of fun. But the, some of the cards that are that are out there that everybody likes to see, you know, you got Darth Vader. You so having a force choke for him, you know, you get to roll a bunch of dice and go, I'm force choking you and doing a lot of damage based on the number of cards they have left. Other fun, uh, fun type things with the dark side. This game, unlike the Star Wars LCG, covers the entire. Uh, entirety of the game, right? Prequels, the original trilogy, whatever Everything. new stuff they come out with. Yeah, this even includes um, your Disney um, cartoons as well. Yeah, well, the LCG does have that as well. That's They've right. got the uh, 
the the Star Wars Rebels. I mean, I'm a big fan of the LCG as well, but this what, the reason I'm more attracted to this one currently is because of the length of gameplay. I can sit down with someone that knows already knows how to play. We can definitely get a game in in 30 minutes or less, and you can teach someone to play a game in 45. Where obviously the LCG, that's not going to happen. Great game, but it's just not going to happen. And also with this game, you you can have two really good players. You can play a best out of three, and it's normally going to go to three games because the dice do give that X factor. You can plan for them. You can mitigate them, change them. There are lots of cards to do things, but there is just still that what factor, what's going to happen with the dice, you know, that it factor, that they could work for you. They could not. And you have to then use your cards to manipulate them to do what you want to do during your game. We played in a tournament recently where I had all through the tournament had great hands. I got into the last game. We were, me and the other guy were both undefeated and I still almost won the game. I only got one upgrade card. So I only got one card on one of my, on one of my characters to add another die. And that's it where usually I'm having four five, six extra die adding to my characters. I was still able to work my dice and cards in such a way that we got down to character versus character. He just so happened to have a lot more upgrades out than I did and I was able to pull it out. So even with, you know, not pulling what you need or not rolling what you need, you can still use the cards to help you. I do like the the X factor though with the dice. It it just I always like being able to throw a wrench in somebody's plan by just having that great dice roll. So they're like, oh, I know you're going to do that, and I'm going to do these things to stop you. Oh, you had a perfect die roll, and you did it right before I could respond. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, the game also has multiple ways to write to you. can re-roll your dice. There are things that re-roll your opponent's dice or get get rid of them. or Exactly. So how how does the experience with Star Wars Destiny feel different if you are, you know, like each of you, one one person buys a, a Ray starter set and one buys a Kylo Ren starter set and all you ever do is play those versus the whole, you know, I have five boxes of cards and two of everything. You know, how does that scale? I think the starter decks are still a good play experience. I You know, I, when I think that's the first thing even before it got any of the boxes that we played, it was the starters. And it was still fun. The The base concept of the the alternating activation and the really, you get to jump right in. It's not, I've got to get enough mana out so that later on I can summon the right monsters to do something. No, it's, my character is out. I can punch you in the face right now. Right, with my particular deck, actually, with the right combination, I can add a card to Ray. I have a Ray Han deck. I can add a card to Ray that then gives her shields. Then I can have two more actions to roll her out and then use her die on the uh, opposing character before they can do anything. Sir, um, I think her- you are undercutting your one action at a time argument. <laughs> well, that's yes, right. He is. <laughs> that I mean, I, obviously, that's the the general gameplay. But 
the card says I can do it, so I do. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you you get to st- you pick two sort of main characters that are the or or well, it seems to mostly be two, but it can be three, right. two or three main characters based on a point value to start with. There are you're either light side, your dark side. There are three factions. That's like red, yellow, blue, which is something like force users and no. Yes. Blue For, force, blues, users, force users, scoundrels, and just fighter fighty types. Yeah, more more military. So your reds more like your military. Your your scoundrels and that kind of side of things is your yellow, and then you have your blue, which is your force users. Yeah, I mean you can start with whatever combination. You can actually have up to four uh, different characters out if you're using a stormtrooper. Um, you can have four of those. But I like to have, regardless of what I'm doing, I, I like to start with four character dice out. So, I mean, I only have two characters, but I'm I'm going the elite version of each one. So when you use two dice on a card, that's the elite version of that, that character. So I do elite Han and elite Rey. So that is uh, Star Wars Destiny from Fantasy Flight Games. Came, the base set came out last year, and they just did pre-releases for the first expansion, right? Yes, and I, and I think later this month it'll actually hit retail, and that's uh, Spirit of the Rebellion. Spirit of the Rebellion actually hits retail on May the 4th be with you. Ah. May 4th, yes. Uh, I have a, I, I, I do not, I, I've already had to mark aside May 4th, 2018, because I have a cousin who is having a Star Wars wedding on that's May amazing. 4th, 2018. No, that's good. I did not ask my wife about that possibility. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think it was unnecessary. Now, now, what characters are they going to be for their wedding? That's the real. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I'll worry about it when I get there. All right. <laughs> we need a report on on the, on the podcast on the characters. Present. We'll see how literally they are. I mean, hey, if if you know next year you see me posting wedding pictures where I'm dressed up as Darth Vader and you know my kids are then. Uh, then you'll know that they really went whole hog on these Star Wars wedding concepts. I'm just I mean, picturing I, Darth Vader marrying them. I mean, that's that's a, like, can you just imagine, you know, Darth Vader saying, "You may now kiss the bride." That's amazing. How how romantic that would be to them. Maybe it is. Right. I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Darth Vader. Is, I don't know. If Darth Vader screams romance to anyone. Besides, then you then you'd have to have some sort of analysis of. His like semi stalker abusive relationship with Padme, and is that really is that really how you want to to bring your your union into the world? Oh, what you laugh, but that was terrible. <laughs> I <I'd... laughs> that that was just poor casting and poor writing on that part, and right poor there. directing, and yeah. and no yes. one will argue with you, right? Yeah. No one will argue with you. <laughs> no one will argue. Indeed, yes. indeed. I don't like sand. <laughs> I don't like sand in my shoes. <laughs> okay, so let's. Why well, don't why? <laughs> anyway, Star Wars Destiny. We'll get away from it. Easily one of my favorite games now, and I don't think that'll ever change. I, I love this game. I will continue to invest in it until indefinitely. <laughs> until they release a different one. That's right. <laughs> well, I know that I, I, it looks like it's not 
happening, or at least not an immediate thing, but because they've already announced a new deluxe, I think, with like all sorts of cool stuff for the LCG. But I actually kind of wondered like if uh, if Destiny meant that they were going to be done with the LCG. I thought the same thing, and, and I like the LCG. I have tons and tons of stuff for it, but it, it does have a little bit of a learning curve to get into it. Yeah, well, and just if you, I think if you look at their World Championships numbers, the Star Wars LCG is the has the lowest attendance and such. I mean, and it, they right. are both Star Wars card games that require <laughs> not not the same kind of repeated investment, but the you know they both have the you know it's a two player tournament game where you have to buy more stuff to keep up and. Mm-hmm. But I am excited about the to see the that deluxe box where they because there's like new faction cards. I think I said multi faction stuff, but it's it's new faction cards, some of which lets you mix factions. Ooh. But that'll yeah, that'll be uh cool to see. But that's uh, that hasn't happened yet. So what do you got, Matt? Well, what I have uh, is a, a departure for from what we've been talking about so far. It's Miskatonic uh, School for Boys. So this is uh, by Fun to Eleven. It's in their uh, Miskatonic universe, but not really related to their Miskatonic school for girls. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're calling it something similar to help help you draw your eye to the box. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Remit- See, we did this other really cool game that you guys liked. Now look at this one. And and so the the uh, premise behind this is that you are. The opposite side of the Lovecraftian universe, you're the you're the elder gods uh, or elder horrors coming in and possessing boys in this uh, boarding school, and you have to discover which boy you've possessed, and it's part of your your final exam to be, I guess, elevated as a dark force and say, hey, you can go and start possessing the world now, and it's a deduction game, so. You will know who everybody else is, uh, but you will not know who you are, and you have to figure out from your deck of, of cards, which are all the boys in the school, who you are. Uh, there are a certain set of questions that you can ask. Basically, am I stupid or am I ignorant? And depending on what your boy is, is how the other players will respond to you. Certain players have kind of keywords that you can't say to them. And so as you see the other cards, they might say you can't say the word paranoid, which is one of the other traits of the of the boys. And so, again, it's another clue for the players. If nobody ever asks you, are they paranoid, you might figure out that, hey, that's one of my keywords. And so I can eliminate some of the boys from the deck that I might be. And so you have to do that before the other people around you do, and whoever does it the fastest gets the best grade. Yeah, and you get you get one guess, and you so you have the option of guessing before you you don't have to deduce it and know for sure. You have the option of just going, well, I've got it down to two, so I'm just going to go ahead and get my guess in, and maybe I'll get it right. But even if I, I, I it now puts pressure on everyone else to guess to get it early. Yeah. Yeah, and so, well, even if I get it wrong, maybe I'll get a decent grade because I will have guessed first out of the people who got it wrong. Right. Uh, Although I don't know if that's a winning strategy. I don't think that's a winning strategy. 
I think the uh, the other twist that, that that they add in is usually in you know uh, in kind of these deduction games there is the kind of traitor aspect or the li- the the liar. You will mix in. They have extra roll cards so that you know that there's a possibility of one or none of the players that are playing to be liars, and they can tell you an untruth. But the I guess the problematic part of that is everybody else at the table can see that you lied. So you have to choose wisely when to lie to the person asking you a question. Yeah, it sort of brings this social aspect in, and I'm not sure that we paid enough to know how this ultimately plays out. Because like, if you if you get lied to and don't, I mean, at best you lose a turn. And if you don't realize that you got lied to, then you probably just lose because you yeah. will have been eliminating possibilities based on that, that false thing. So I, I think you might have to look for clues. Like if you, right, like you just said, if, if someone, if you ask someone a question and they lie to you, everyone else now knows that they lied, and so no one is ever going to ask them a question again. Right. So if you ask someone a question, and someone and they don't get asked any follow-ups, that may be a sign that they're a liar. If they do get asked follow-ups, that's a strong sign that they're not not a liar. And there's an incentive, a small one, but there's an incentive to have for one player to get repeatedly asked the same question, because, like you mentioned earlier, Every time you get asked a question, that provides you with some information about who you are. Because your character has a word that people aren't allowed to say to you. And so if, yeah, if my word is paranoid and someone, and so if, if someone asks me, am I paranoid? I know that my character is not one of the characters who has paranoid as their forbidden word. And I can pull those out of my stack and set them aside. So, what you, what we often had was uh, if i ask are you par- am i paranoid to, if i ask you am i paranoid everybody else all around the table yeah everyone asks you that because it's now not giving any additional information away to to anyone else to have you be the target of that question so it, it helps lend weight to the the notion of well if you don't just ask the person <laughs> right yeah, you can't you can't lie on your first question. Well, let me rephrase that. You can lie. It's probably not going to help you for the rest of the game. Yeah, it, but it may put out whoever you lied to. <laughs> it, it, it most definitely can. And now, because you played over three, you know, you, you will f- try and deduce who you are three times, and so it it can make a significant cut into somebody's ability to score points. Well, yeah, and it's worth more each time, and you can probably counteract that to some extent. Like, if you're, if you're in first or second place, you're probably not turning and asking a question of the other player who's in first or second place as your first choice, because you're one, possibly giving them information, and two, if they are the liar, you're giving them a perfect opportunity to knock out their primary competition. Uh, whereas if you're asking questions of the person who's in last place, they have less of an incentive to blow their score just to take you down. Um, uh, 
Yeah, so it was a it's a it's and it, it it's a pretty light game other than the the social aspect of the possibility of someone lying, the deduction is pretty straightforward. So this is not a a brain burner. No, it wasn't a brain burner. I I did like the iconography of which one you were. It was pretty clear that of which of the traits you are cuz each stupid ignorant and i think it was paranoid and uh obsess obsessive or something like that they they kind of went together a little bit so you could easily get them together and make fun of the other person who's stupid even though you're ignorant so <laughs> yeah like hey, uh, <laughs> am i stupid no are you calling me ignorant i guess yeah because <laughs> you're either one or the other <laughs> I think I came back at the wrong part of this conversation. We totally were not talking about you. In no, <laughs> no way, no, no, shape, no, no, or form. No, no way, yeah, not were at we all. talking about you? Never do that. I love you too. <laughs> okay. So that is, like you said, that's uh, Miskatonic School for Boys, uh, designed by Garrett Herter and published by Fun211. So uh, we're, I think we're going to keep this one nice and short so I have the hope of getting it out to you, the listener, before I turn around and record the following episode on uh, Legend of the Five Rings. Anything you guys wanted to, uh, to to throw in there at the end? I'll just point out, Matt, you're right. You were excited that Brass is on Kickstarter again. Yes. Uh, well, I had seen it up there in, you know, Roxley Games. They do some really quality kickstarters and they they kind of pay attention to their backers pretty well so you know i thought it was kind of neat that they have that now and it looks like there's a deluxe edition with two versions of it which seems very very interesting yeah the the brass lancashire is i if i understand correctly is essentially the original game brass with then with like the like a little mini expansion of player of, of that makes it asymmetric, and then Lancashire Brass Birmingham is that the other one? Yes, and that's that's new stuff, kind of new. And yeah, I I have not really looked at the Kickstarter yet. I I knew that it was coming because Brass is one of the highest because I still I don't care about this as much as I used to. But Brass is still one of the highest games on the in, on the BGG rankings that I have not played, and it has hung on. Right, it is it, at the moment. It is. It, I mean, it's dropped out of the top twenty-five. It, it's twenty-six, but it has hung on despite the the trend in the last couple of years. And I know I'm going to get all grumpy, old man here of like just Shake all sorts of new Shake games game. just flying way up the top of the. I mean. And that one has hung on anyway, and yet I've never gotten around to, I've never had the chance to play it. And so the new release was a, seemed like a, a possibly a good place to, to jump in and grab it. Or, or because of the Kickstarter, old copies of Brass will be cheap, you know? <laughs> well, I might be one of those people getting rid of the old copy just of how, because of how good this new version looks. I have the old version. And I am seriously considering putting it up because I want this. It looks amazing. Yeah, I did something similar when I when they were. I knew that they were going to be doing the new through the ages, and then like Eagle Griffin tried to 
do the Kickstarter to sell as many of its on-hand copies of the old through the ages as possible. I'm like, I'm just going to go ahead and throw mine up on eBay because this thing is only going to go down. I'll just get the new one later when it comes out. I actually haven't gotten around to getting the new one, but still. I've played it. I've played it. I just haven't gotten it myself. Well, it's better than me. I have it, but I have not played it. <laughs> yeah, so that will happen. The the actually, now, all of a sudden, it, it used to be that uh, Mage Knight was the highest rated game that I had not played. And now it is Gloomhaven, of course. Because we, we did have a copy of Gloomhaven in our group, and the person who had it rather wisely sold it for like four times what he had paid for it in the original Kickstarter. And is now going to pick it up in the... In the new Kickstarter, the new, yeah. In the new Kickstarter. I, 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 can't, I can't blame that. He, I was excited to play it, and he sent me the message saying like, oh, what, what, what would you think if I, uh, if I just told it to me? I'm like, I would not blame you, sir. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> uh, but okay. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there on the and iTunes at the Google Play Store or wherever it is that you got this episode. You can also visit us at the usual social media sites. We're facebook.com slash strangeassembly and at strangeassembly on Twitter. I always like to hear from you, so you can also contact me directly. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. Promotional consideration was provided in the form of review copies. Until next time, for Matt Sandlin and Chris Sink, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.